Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Carl Honore. We invited Carl back on the Open Nesters podcast because he really has such incredible insight in so many areas. He started the slowness movement. He's a TED Talk speaker and author, and he's working with corporations now. And you have so, and he's an Open Nester. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's hear it from Carl Honore. Welcome back to the Open Nesters podcast, Carl. We had such a rich discussion with you and really wanted to just hear a lot about the things that you've been up to over the last two years. So bring us up to speed, Carl. Tell us where you are at this particular moment in time. I'm 54. I'm married. Uh, we live in London, England. And my children are, my daughter is 21. And my son is just about to turn 24. And they have both arrived back home yesterday from university for the uh, Christmas holidays. Wow. And, and so uh, regarding them, has what's shifted in the past couple of years since we first spoke as far as your relationships with them is what I wanted to start asking you and talk about. Yeah, I'll just give you an interesting sort of data point here, which is that my daughter turned up, um, she did a several hour train ride from the north of England where she's studying and she came through the front door and she was wearing the open nester t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Totally unprompted. We are honored. <laughs> stole it from me. I, I was a big fan of it. And then it disappeared from my drawer one day, and I, I saw it in her Instagram feed, so now I know where it ended up. All right, anyway. all right. We got it. You want another T-shirt. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my relationship with them. I feel that there's been a, a spinning on the axis a little bit in the last couple of years, that both of them feel like they've made a great leap forward, that we're meeting on level playing field in a way maybe we weren't so much before that the, I mean, I'm still their parent, I'm still their father, but I feel like I'm meeting them as, I guess equals is the way you know, that we, we, we come to the table, often the real table as, as equal partners and in conversations and arguments and they have their own view of the world, which is in some ways often very different from mine and we argue our corner. And yeah, I'd say that's been a quantum shift in the last 18 months, two years, I'd say. Well, it's a it's a shift that we're going through as well with our kids, adult kids, uh, as they grow. The conversations are evolving, uh, the views are not the same, uh, but we have space and a safe area to uh, express ourselves freely. So I'm glad to hear that that's happened in your family as well. It's I think it's a magic chapter this one somehow um, before they then go on to their families and so on and all that but and, uh, and being in the open nesting stage which you are obviously in, in england uh do you see a shift that in in the time that you have uh, to yourself to your spouse <clears throat> uh, for your career that has uh, emerged from uh that uh space that the kids are not out of the house very much so it was it was an odd timing for us achieving open nest status because it happened in the middle of pandemic right so right. the nest was open but then it filled up very quickly again because everyone came home so we we i guess we got an extra couple of years of of you know uh, whatever the opposite of the emptiness is the full nest but now now we're we're the, i would say the last eight nine months has been proper full 
for empty, um, open nesting. And it's been pretty glorious with my wife. I mean, I travel a lot for work and hitherto I've always done it alone. And now she comes on trips and we tack on a few extra days and we've done so much traveling together in the last year. It's been, I mean, it's, it's been such a treat. It's been such a luxury, not least because we couldn't, nobody could travel anywhere during the pandemic, but now we can travel again and I can travel with her. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. There's a, one of my favorite songs, um, sort of love songs, if anyone ever says, what's your top five love songs of all time? <laughs> it's the song by Francis Cabrel, the French, French singer. And it's called La Fille qui m'accompagne, the girl who accompanies me, right? And it was always a song that I thought of for my wife because we met as you know young people. We traveled as journalists. We traveled a lot together, and traveling was a big part of the forging of our relationship. And it's one of the pillars of who we are together in the world. And it kind of got lost a little bit through all those years of childbearing because we couldn't travel at all ever alone. It was we were always either just me or just her or the kids were there. So. Doing it again now has really brought back that song in a way. I kind of heard it playing in, in some of the moments we've been together, and it's been it's been kind of kind of touching. <laughs> wow. Precious. I love that. I mean, I think that's gonna be one of our, our probably the teaser for the open nester. We love to hear that coming back to like the essence, the essence of what connected you. And that's what the openness stage is for. And just to just to actually give a little qualification to what we're calling the openness, because it continues to evolve in our definition of it, is that it's not empty and it's not full. It's just open, open to when kids come back and forth, open to whatever we're experiencing and open to open to that joy and that magic, which I do want to go back to for a moment, because what is it that you think you're learning more about yourself from? At this, you called it a magical time before they have grandchildren, before maybe they're too busy, where they're fully engaged with you. Maybe they're not even partnered yet. And here you are at the table, bringing to the table this magical time, as well as your revived love with your wife. And I also think that when kids witness that, that gives them so much to to mm. to enjoy and to model. So and it's two ways. Like, what are the things that they're bringing and challenging you with? And what do you think you're reflecting back to them? I'd be curious if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, well, I think on the first question, I mean, politics uh, is a big issue around our, our dinner table. And I've always thought of myself as being, I guess, what, what are the, I mean, these words are all a bit slippery, especially as you go across the Atlantic, you know, sort of progressive, or I guess, you know, left-leaning and stuff. But my, daughter, my daughter's way out there. Uh, so we have some... We have some pretty tasty encounters around the table over, over sort of you know issues of the moment and so on. Um, and then, and then my my son is much more sort of centrist. And my, my my wife and I are both we both we're both writers. We both ply our trade in the humanities. My son has doubled down on the sciences. Right, he's doing a PhD in drug discovery using AI in chemistry. Right, so he's a full science guy. Whereas my daughter is gone down the humanities and she's studying English and is very interested in working in the charity sector and saving the world, which is kind of how I got into journalism. So there's all these little interlacings that I see a bit of me, a bit of my wife and both of them, and then something in each that's completely and utterly unrecognizable, which I think is part of the joy here is that discovery of, of the new and the, and, and sometimes the unnerving, right? Because the new is at the beginning at any rate, a little bit unsettling but in a good way I think because it it knocks you out of I feel in some ways maybe towards the end of parenting for me I was in a possibly cruise control maybe it's like you get into a comfort zone you feel everybody in the family has their role everybody has their script and you just kind of jog along 
And then when people leave the nest, then they have other scripts and they find themselves falling into other plays <laughs> and they start writing their own stories and then they come home with them. And then those stories start to collide and you get sparks and you, you create new stories. And I just think it's a time of wonderful fertility, right? It just feels very rich now. I feel like I, I look forward to our, we've always been a family that likes to sit around the table and, and eat and talk about food and, and spend time just chatting. We never have phones at the table. It's very much a big part of who we are as a family. And I just look forward to those meals even more now that we're in this this new stage. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a delight that you just expressed. Like I just like you could feel it all. It's visceral because when you've been able to nurture the relationships that you hope to, that we don't always know we're doing well. And and like you said, we can be unautomatic or or we think that we're doing something and we're never gonna do it perfectly. And then they can also magnify some of the little things that that are the cracks. Sometimes, like when we're at our table with our kids, we're very, very engaged too. And we're realizing, wow, where can we soften? And if if they bring us something through love, we can see it anew. And I know, for example, Amir definitely with my, our daughter being queer would have never considered himself being like welcoming his woman, his, his her female partner in a way that we want them to get married. Like mm. you were asked us 10 years ago, there is no way in the world we would have thought that. <laughs> definitely a quantum leap for me to go from the traditional a thinking method to the to the real world that I'm living in right now with our daughter, but it's a delight. It's a delight. It's lovely. It's uh, it's inspiring to see. Uh, in it's inspiring. It, it is inspiring to see what love can do and what how it can heal uh, old traumas and in yeah. uh, progress you and propel you forward. So uh, we're happy to hear that your family has those ritual all together in the open nesting stage that's the wonderful thing i think that love does it opens minds and it opens hearts doesn't it and and that and that i always think that that's such a a gift that we get as parents is it's easy as you get you know in the second half of life and maybe you're busy and you've got your ways of doing things and you can get into a i don't want to say a rut but maybe a groove and and what children often do is that they just bring a bit like a cat bringing a dead bird. This is a, not the right metaphor, but you know, to the doorstep. Chil children bring new things too. So I even I'm sure you experienced the same thing with your kids when they were younger. That you know your musical taste can get stuck back when you were you know you all your playlist is everything exactly. you listened to until you were 21. And then kids come along and suddenly you're hearing things from their bedroom or they're throwing something on the playlist in the car and you think you know actually that's pretty good. And then you find yourself downloading or vice versa. We were born 10 years ago sort of thing well vice versa so, uh, they see they listen to some of your music and all of a sudden you hear them play yours so i want to make a transition to your work and to and to the idea of what you're bringing to the world that also is an example to your kids and and you know what what you feel like you're you've been learning over the last couple of years and i actually wonder if i just is a question of part of this is if being slower to enjoy these stages, and I know you you were also kind of an author of the slow movement. So as we age, I think this appreciation we're discussing right now is wonderful. And I know you also did a ch children's book and you're doing a lot of traveling and speaking. Is the work that you do on aging any time a topic on the dinner table with your kids? Oh, very so, much so. In fact, I was amazed. I mean, talk about your children picking up things from your own life. My daughter... Uh, without even running, just it's just announced uh, last year that she had taken over a university society that pairs up lonely 
older people in the community with students and kind of brings them together into a social setting so they have a conversation. She's sort of just completely taking this on and runs it herself. And I just think, wow, I mean, I would never, I just never did anything like that at university. I just messed around and played sports, but she's out there on the front line, making the world a better place, but also taking up a theme that is very much one of mine, which is bringing the generations back together again, reinventing aging for the 21st century. And there she is literally putting it into practice every day of her university life. And I just thought, wow, what a rush of fatherly pride. One can do from time. <laughs> you, you, you should be proud. I love yeah. it. That's great. So, so in your work, what, what, what's, what's bubbling for you? What's like really giving you, like driving you right now? What's exciting for you? Well, I just, I feel like this, you know, with the pandemic, it was such a global trauma, right? I feel like we're still all reeling from it at some level. But we're beginning now, I think, to see the silhouette of what the world post-pandemic is going to look like. And I think the world is going to be very, have a very different view of aging, right? I think that was coming anyway. But I think that the whole subject of, you know, what does it mean to hit middle, middle life, right? Is, is it the beginning of the end? Is it all downhill from here? Clearly not. But there's something in the sort of cultural bathwater that we're floating around in that tells us that it's game over at 35, right? That you've got to get it all done by 40 because then it, you're finished at 40, right? Or you're the wrong side of 50. All completely wrong. But we're now in a world where pick up a newspaper anywhere and you'll see talent shortage, right? Pe companies can't find enough people. And yet we've got this vast untapped reservoir of older workers who are out there, many of them yearning to get back into the workplace. So I think that there are some demographic trends that feed into what was already coming with the pandemic, which was a reassessment of the place of older people in our society and so on. So I, I feel like it was something I was grappling with before, but is really on my radar now. So I'm working with a couple of groups and organizations to create like sort of resources and possibly a retreat for people who are at getting to that midlife moment and they just need to step out of the world that they live in, which can hold us back and look at the 30,000 foot view, you know, take a step out have an out-of-body experience, look at their lives and think, how do I want to, what do I want the next chapter to look like? And, and I feel like a lot of us are in that boat, but we don't, we're, we're, in, we're alone. We don't know how to deal with it. Maybe there's a book here, a blog post there, but it's maybe not enough. So I guess for me, it's going from the, the TED talk and the writing the book and all that, which I've done to doing something like really rolling up my sleeves and getting down into the trenches with people and helping them not find the right answers because I don't think there are uh, ask the right questions, right? Ask the right questions, and then through and, the wrestling with those questions, and, you will get to a better place. And, 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 I, I impl and implementing the entire uh, um, thought process that you have about aging. So when you say pull up my sleeve and get the dirty work, <clears throat> you mean it is really implementing what you have been thinking about in your philosophy uh, as well. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I love the theory. I love the getting on a stage and inspiring and all that stuff. But I, I, I feel that there's the next stage is all the real work. How you go from, you know, punching the air and thinking, yes, I agree with this guy. His ideas resonate with me. This is my and then you leave the event and it just all dissipates. So I, I want to capture that lightning in a bottle moment and then help people convert that lightning into something real in their lives, whether it's you know, it could, and it could mean, you know, you know, it could mean that they find that they make a little tweak. It may be a huge change. They could leave a relationship. They could, you know, anything could come of it, right? You're, you're in a way opening yourself up to this glorious 
buffet of possibility. But that's the whole and, point, right? To say that aging is not about losing possibility. It's you're opening doors instead of closing them, which is my aging take. is about opening doors because if we we close actually I do believe that we also put boundaries and close some. And even close whether you said if if once we illuminate different things in our lives by asking those questions and that's what I think you're referring to is how do we question it but not with a desperation rather with mm. a curiosity and that courage to step into something that maybe you are leaving some other relationship and that is closing a door or you're leaving something that was a work that was not give, not filling you and all of a sudden there's openness to the kind of what the road ahead is and so stepping into that retreat and that creating that new vitality is a big part of our theme and and we're, we're exploring this all the time together and then giving each other space to do it apart. And I think that's the essence of it. I think we're, we're all, it's interesting. I speak to a lot of women. I do many of the interviews on this podcast. And there are so many women out there that are kind of see themselves as light workers as they age and the crones that are bringing help, helping to evolve wisdom and questions. But it's really lovely to see just a you know a, a regular guy journal a journalist and and also a wonderful author and TED talk and 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 partner that's like looking at life with just what's the regular way for us to say what have we been doing in a routine way and what do we need to break what are the things that open us and so i really value that if there are any if there are any tools or questions or thoughts that you have that you want to give us right now for how people can begin that process it's always welcome well, I think a good starting point is to widen your social net. I think so many of us are caught up in age silos, right? You know, that's the way the culture rolls now. It starts, you know, throughout human history, people of different ages mix. They mixed in the fields, they mixed in the markets at home and streets everywhere. And then we got to the modern world and suddenly we boxed ourselves in. So it starts at school, right? Your your class, everybody was born within the same calendar year, right? And then we kind of get stuck in this. And when you're, when you have, very few or no relationships with people well, younger or older than you both into that empty space rush the stereotypes right the grim downbeat stereotypes about other ages and and all the kind of cult of youth idea that aging is a grim descent into decrepitude if you don't know anybody five years older than you or 15 or 20 it's easy to buy into that because that's what the culture is telling you so my first suggestion to people is always just roll the social dice, you know, just get out there, you know, join a local club or something that's going to expose you to people of different ages. Ideally, I mean, both younger and older, but with what we're talking about now, and we're probably focusing more on people who are older, someone who's maybe 10, 15 years older, who could look back and say, you know, I had all those worries and 99% of them were trivial, right? They were, they, 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 they turned out to be meaningless worries, or I learned this. And it just, I think it can, it can blow away some of those stereotypes that pin us down and hold us into position like a Victorian butterfly. <laughs> you sort of free yourself and spread your wings. And I think having people of different ages around you is a huge boost for that. And it's a contribution uh, of your wisdom to the others, which is really what you're talking about. And do you have any examples of people that you've worked with that have transformed through that process, through your ideological uh, methodology? Have you, uh, do you have any, ex uh, any example of that? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did a little bit of work with a, um, a global construction company based in London, and they created a reverse mentorship program. This was so within a company, right? Company setting. And they paired up staff, you know, and the younger staff with older staff. And the, the key word here is reverse mentoring. It's not a one-way street where the older person is yeah. 
vouchsafing tablets of stone and all that. And, and it's been transformational for that company because it just means that people, A, there's much more openness and communication and sharing and collaboration within the firm, which is great for the bottom line. But everyone I spoke to there afterwards said, my whole view of aging has altered, right? You know, the, the, the younger, the older people start thinking, well, actually, it's not true that all younger people are feckless, you know, snowflakes and, you know, self-obsessed and, uh, you know, and then the younger people think, well, actually, you know what? 54 doesn't look that bad to me suddenly, right? Or right. 65. And, and they begin looking forward to later life rather than dreading it. So I, I, you know, that's one example within a company, but I've done some one-on-one work with people as well. And you see a similar uh, um, and, and I and I do think that based on interest, it, it takes everything. It helps us really connect with any othering, any othering period. And in the world, there's so much of that othering that creates dis- dis- separation rather than unity. And we all need these light, this kind of light work to say, how do I reach out to you based on the things that I love about myself? Almost like starting with self. What are the things that give me joy? And how do I connect with you in that way that has nothing to do with anything that anyone from the outside labels you as. And so I think that we can learn so much by dissecting and, you know, really getting rid of some of those, the the distinctions that are good, like, so, so in race, we went through Black Lives Matter and we don't, and, and, and even when I first had my first discussion about being, oh, I'm ageless. So Ashton Applewhite corrected me right away on our first interview in this podcast about, well, age is, age, saying you're ageless means that you're taking away your good distinctions. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And so just like with, with anybody uh, with, I mean, we don't, and, and so I'm really trying to talk about how it's also good to embrace the paradox of who I am while saying, what is it I have in common and get rid of that label. So at the same time. Exactly. Right? I mean, I, I, think a, I think of it a little bit like the old Venn diagram, right? I mean, we, there, there, we, we are our own, each in our own circle, and some of that is unique, but there's that big sweet spot in the middle where we all overlap, and that's where we need to be playing, right? That's where we need to be convening and challenging each other and so on. And yeah, no, ageless, a word I never use, right? I'm ageful, far better, right? You know, I say ageful you now, yeah. You're I say I'm full age. of my wonderful age. Like I love my age and I embrace my age. And I'm, and I, you know, I've been talking about being in my 60s this, this, this decade. <laughs> and I, you know, that's the idea is that how do we look at our age in a whole new way that is, is unique while it's also embracing of, of the things that other people find in, in common with me so we can move together, like move was, together, right? I think it was, um, was it Muhammad Ali who said that a man who is the same at 50 as he was at 30 has wasted 20 years of his life, right? So it's that kind of idea right, that right. why why would you deny or, or try to pretend that you're either ageless, you have no age, or you're the same as you were, you know, because because why? <laughs> it's just, just there's just so much, all that laughter, learning, love that is goes into 20 years of living. Why expunge that from the record? Why deny it? I mean. I, I'm so oh, right. I'm so inspired by like this second interview, knowing also how nice your our first interview was. So if anyone listening, we talked a lot also then about about ageism with the dating apps and with how we define mm. ourselves with ageism. And if, go back to hear Carl on on the first, you know, in our season one. This is season three already. So I do wonder. Um, I mean, it could lead us to friendship, but I also want to ask you what is bubbling for you? What's next for you? What are you? What what what's your next step of life? And what are you working on? That's a good question. I, I, I never, I'm not a big planner. I'm, I tend to be someone who just goes out into the world with my antennae on and, and see as what, what, what sort of 
embeds itself in my head and if I feel it scratching away there for a long time, I think, okay, I need to dig deeper on this. I suppose at the moment, I just finished writing a children's book, my first one ever, which is about slow travel. And that that's going gangbusters. So I, I, and I love doing that. Just the act of writing for children, for younger, the, Why? the shaking down of the prose. What is the theme the, of, the, of the book? What is the theme of the book? What, what, what's the title? It's, about slow, the it's, it's called, It's the Journey, Not the Destination. And it's about the, the majesty of slow travel, of traveling slowly, of taking time to stop and stare. And so it's, it's built over um, this 40 journeys, 10 by bicycle, 10 by boat, 10 on foot, 10 um, by train. So you can, you know, you walk the Machu Picchu Trail or drift down the aisle on a the Nile on a, you know, an old an old um, I can't remember the name of those boats. What are those Egyptian? Um, anyway, uh, you know that kind of thing. And um, yeah, and it, it was just a, such a different exercise because I've always written for adults in the past, and I found it a different different parts of my brain and spirit were being engaged. And it was a it was a lovely, you know, George Saunders, the famous um, um, short story writer. He wrote a he. A few years back, not long ago, he wrote uh, Lincoln the Bardo. He wrote a novel, the first novel ever, and he was in his 50s, and it won the Booker Prize, right? One of the greatest literary prizes in the world. And I always think, well, how magnificent that someone who had carved out this one niche throughout his whole career and, and made it his own. I mean, he was seen as one of the, the greatest short story writers of his generation, swiveled around one day and said, you know what? I'm going to do something completely different here. I'm going to write a novel, which is a very different thing. And hit a home run, right? Um, and I'm now reading his most recent short stories and he hasn't lost his mojo there either. He's amazing still. Uh, so that kind of that kind of idea of you can do it within the sphere you're in, you can pivot a little bit or you can go totally different. But for me, I maybe I'll write another children's book. What is the age target for uh, for these books? Uh, well, the book, when you say children, that's a lot. Yeah, I should specify. the Well, the publisher on the back, it says age seven and up, but you could do it probably a bit younger. It's It's really just the idea that you sort of, a parent or a guardian or a grandparent and the child would say every evening pull the book down off the shelf and say where should we go tonight you know should we walk the great wall of china shall we paddle on a kayak to the galapagos islands right and so and it's that sort of idea and, and the, the, i didn't i hasten to add do any of the illustrations <laughs> they're pretty marvelous but i couldn't draw for toffee um but but the words are mine and it's just each Journey is given two large pages. You know, it's a lovely picture book. It looks beautiful on the page. What is it, what is it called? It's the idea you 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 travel, you know, you're lying in bedtime stories, right? So, and and that sacred moment of slowness between a parent or a mm. grandparent or whatever and a child, and to to be able to travel the world on a magic carpet of pictures and words, I just think is one of the greatest gifts. So, um, I'm I'm so thrilled that people are reading it and, and enjoying it. What's it called? The book. Oh, yes, it's called It's the Journey, Not the Destination. That's actually the title. By Carl Honoré. Yeah. And I, I think it, it kind of encapsulates part of how you're looking at the magical living that you're doing. Because when we have, it's almost like you're embracing the imagination of where we can go slowly while being present to what is right now. Like it's, it's embracing that soft spot of that bedtime ritual that's so one of the, one of the most beautiful presence rituals you have as a parent. And then also like using your imagination together. So I love it. It has almost like it has almost like the magic that we're talking about mm. right in right in it. Um, so so any anything else that you'd like to share? Um, we're going to touch on friendship even maybe. as a Sure. Well, I guess I've just uh, Ted, you know, I've done two TED talks and Ted last year created. They looked at the masterclass model and decided to do their own version. So they've created an online school called TED Courses. So last year I spent 
weeks, months, scripting a course, brainstorming it with Ted. And then I was in New York for a couple of days to film it. And it's uh, it drops January 9th, uh, 2023. So very soon, not long from when we're speaking now. It's called How to Slow Down. So it's taking all of my many years of crusading for a slower, better world and putting it into a, an online course. So that's pretty exciting too. That's going to be a social learning model. So you don't just do it on your own. You do it as part of a like-minded group of other learners around the world and so on. And there's an interaction with me and, and it's, yeah, it's a new departure and I'll, I'll just see how that goes. Uh, can you give me an example of how you slow down yourself during the day uh, or, or, the, or the week uh, in a ritual? Yeah. In a way? Um, I, I mean, for me, I, I've got many ways I do it too that jump out is for me, cooking is the, in some ways my yoga, right? Just the act of not necessarily cooking a you know four course banquet just eat just cook just slicing the garlic heating the oil throwing it in tasting smelling set you know uh, setting off all five senses and then sitting down and and sharing it with whoever is in the house at the time i find that it's just immensely soothing for me as well um and then another thing i think and this is a universal is just being in nature i mean we know the science is really clear on this that being in green spaces is calming so it puts us into a, 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 a more relaxed, mellow groove. And so I, I live in the middle of a roaring metropolis, so I can't go out my front door into a forest, but I've got some pretty good parks. London as well serves park-wise. So just being in green space, I think, makes a huge difference. So I try, whether it's a run or just a walk or something, I try always every day to get my feet in the grass. Right. <clears throat> bare feet in the grass well a little cold little cold at the moment for that <laughs> and i say that as a canadian it's actually below zero I, here in london right now which is pretty unusual but yeah below zero no amir's laughing at me because i'm very into earthing so i spent the whole summer with at least an hour a day with my feet in the earth because there's all kinds of amazing information out there about how it decreases inflammation and how it elevates your connection to mother earth by not having the rubber in the way Mm -hmm. So I suggest it to everyone. It's not, I mean, it really, it changes your actual, you feel the electrical uh, magnetic field of the earth when you're connected to it. It really changes I, things. It is what well, you call the grounding. I mean, it, it is grounding, isn't it? I feel that too. I, when it's warm, I take my shoes off and walk in the grass. So we're, we're on the same team there, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, I read a recently a meme about that people are so concerned about ascending rather than realizing how they need grounding. Oh, you know, sometimes we spend so much time and we are the conduit right there. So I, I appreciate so much the work that you're doing to help people slow down, to really recognize those things. And, and we all need it. We all need to slow down. I mean, we do. I mean, I see my, I go back, I was spent some time back with my parents who are in their eighties in, um, in Canada last month. And I'll tell you what, my mom needs to slow down more than anybody I know. <laughs> She's 82, <laughs> right? <laughs> So yeah, it's not a, people often assume, I mean, it's one of the stereotypes we have, isn't it? That fast is young and slow is old. And that part, that feeds into ageism and, and the dim view we have of later life because we, we abhor slowness and we, we associate slowness with aging. And so these things are all intertwined, but it's actually comes down to many different other factors. And I think each person, I think we're all born a tortoise or a hare and many of us are, I mean, I'm naturally a hare. So I'm, even when I'm 82, I'm sure I'll be feeling the itch to go a little too fast, a bit like my mom, right? In some ways, the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. Um, but I see, it's interesting. I see both my children and they're they're both amazingly slow in, in a really good way. So 
hopefully this thing that my mom and I have is going to skip a generation. <laughs> maybe it's been maybe it's been removed from the gene pool because my my wife is an avatar of slow, so <laughs> maybe her her slow genes won out this time. Good for her. <laughs> Thank you for your time again. And yeah, do you want to give it out? Give it out so we have it so people can reach you and your website. Oh, sure. Just we like to have it verbally. We always put it in the blog, but um, yeah, in our that's super easy. I, I have one link for everything, which is you know, everything is in one link, which is just my name, no punctuation. So Carl Honore dot info. And that's my link tree and everything from videos to books to social media, anything you could ever want to know and more about me is there one place. And Honore is H-O-N-O-R-E. Carl Honore with a C. Carl with a C. Thank you so much again for visiting with us on the Open Masters. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Be well and have a wonderful, slow day. <laughs> Same to you. I just love Carl Anoy. He is so articulate. He knows his stuff about aging. And I love, I love the quote of Muhammad Ali, a man who is the same at 50 as he was at 30, wasted 20 years of his life. Don't you think that's a great quote? That's great. And there's there's so much to learn about how aging helps us open doors, which I feel like is such a major part of his message, which obviously is our message with the open nesters. And the fact that he's, I of course love the romantic part of the fact that he and his wife, who were journalists when they were young, are now traveling and coming back to this essential, the, what, what brought back, bringing back the song that they sang as, a, as partners, that's such an important thing. What's the song that was in our hearts when we were young, and how can we make what that song it? richer? What is it, Tessa? What was the song in your heart when you become an open nester? Well, I don't know about one song. That's not what I'm talking a, about. A series of songs? I don't... I don't I, I, the song is not actually a song. It's actually a, a, a term for the lightness of how we felt, the romance of how we felt, the yeah. opening of how we felt, bringing back the... The, it could be a dance, and for me, it's more of a dance. The dance back in your in our steps as we get excited about things that bring us joy. I actually remember some song. I used to make cassettes for you. Remember? Yeah. When we, when we were before married, before we, and for me, it's a Grover Washington Jr. the saxophone uh, from an album called Wine Light. So that's really bring me oh, back wow. straight <laughs> to some interesting. But anyway, well, we um, had Nancy Wilson was our wedding uh, song. Um, yeah, but that's and we listened to the words recently, and we were like, "Wow, we didn't even know all the things that the way it goes." Someday, when our dreams come true, I'll I'll turn to you. And it actually, those some of the words that, and some of them are around getting through rough times or seeing things fall apart, and that's the idea of how we become resilient while we while we break the silos of aging. And so he goes into that section that I love talking about because. If, you, if we don't know someone who's much older than us or younger than us, and I, I do have friends in different age groups, and I'm actually going to be working with some when I, when I travel on business recently and start doing some seminars on, on different love, different ways mm-hmm. we can love and friendships, and it is about the different ages that opens our hearts. The more I listen to about aging, the more personally I'm looking to embrace my age. I've become ageful. And I like the fact that it's age four and what you have accomplished in all these years that have accumulated 
to whoever I am today, uh, the wisdom, the experience, and, you know, the patience I've, I've created. And I think that slow is right. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do that in my life right now, uh, to shift down as much as I can. And aging is really opening doors, as uh, Carl Honoré said. And getting out of the cruise control or the programming of what I think people think of as they abhor slowness because they um, they relate that to aging. And age and slow is really, if if you're lucky to be born more of a tortoise, I do agree. I didn't have that as much. I have to, I've ha- I've wanted to slow down, not because of aging, but because of wisdom. And that's what he talks about a lot: this slow movement slower eating he talked about in his earlier interview with us and the idea of and so I as you know take so much time outdoors walking and appreciating the little things and it has everything to do with our full life and if we can do those reverse mentorship um, programs that he talks about he's doing with corporations but we can look at that as a reverse mentorship of what we can learn and the view of a view of how someone else can enjoy aging at all ages at That's all right. ages rather than dreading it and and the intergenerational uh, community that one can create for himself get associated with younger ages that will open up uh, different ideas a different perspective uh, to everything that you do from socially to intellectually and not dreading the old phrase that says youth is wasting on the young rather than try to Uh, see what you can learn from the young, uh, whether it's music, whether it is the way they behave, whether it is the way they uh, understand technology. The way we learn from our kids, and we do. The way we learn, we, from, we our learn kids, from our exactly. kids. I mean, technology can be definitely has had its 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 downfall because there is so much information out there and not enough connection, and it's a big part of why we want to talk about slowing down so we can really connect with people. And I, I'm wondering, what is it for me that slowing down means? For him, it's cooking. And I wonder what it is for me. Maybe it's uh, putting together a music program or I don't know what it is, but I have to think about really where can I slow down? What is it that I do that I can take my time to and basically be in a timeless cups capsule? So I'd to love speak. to see you actually. I know you do you, that you enjoy baking and you bake breads and and I'm I'm more the cook and I when I make soups I do it very slowly. I do it so intentionally. I make it enjoyable and and I think sometimes you you want to get it done and you enjoy doing it like you enjoy the but you don't do it slowly. So maybe that's my little suggestion to you. I'd love to see you do it slowly with that yeast. Right? Yeah. Take your time. And, well, uh, that that's where you all of a sudden have plenty of time rather than uh, rush through things all of a sudden you take your time so the slow movement is something that one that is really paradoxical in nature as you grow older you do have less time and Carl Honoré says slow down so it's paradoxical in nature it is the journey and not not the destination because we're putting we're putting life in our years rather than counting the years in our lives exactly and you know there's so much to learn from Carl Honoré I need to listen to this particular episode One more time for Carl Honoré. And you can do it too. You can go to our website, theopenesters.com, double in the middle, S at the end. Listen to previous episodes of Carl Honoré and, you know, replay this episode because so much to learn from it. And I would love, we would love you to be part of 
the growing community of open nesters and hear your opinions as well because they really count. Comments on our website, comments at the closed Facebook page, The Open Nesters, and join on our Instagram, social, all the social medias, The Open Nesters. And thank you so much for sharing and helping us grow in this podcast journey. And, and subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe to The Open Nesters. <laughs> subscribe to a newsletter because this friendship series and the connections we need to make is a big part of what's on my heart and I'm doing right now with an ebook and I'm, and the friendship series was an eight-week, nine-week actually uh, series that we just completed and if you haven't heard them you'll hear you could hear Carl as a, in a short episode on friendship as well if you go back to last week thank you very much for listening as Tessa said till next time this is Amir and this is Tessa and we will see you on the next episode ciao you have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.